get jealous. Like if you go to a competitor and you're like, wow, this is sexy. It's going to either a like help you up, like get you motivated to up your game or B be like, okay, this is great. How can I be inspired to do something like this in a way that's who I am? Ho, 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 and welcome to Too Legitimate to Quit, instantly actionable small business strategies with a pop culture spin. I am your host, Annie P. Ruggles, and my guest today is the remarkable Shauna Armitage. When an untimely layoff brought Shauna to her knees just three weeks before her military husband deployed for six months, Shauna took massive action and launched a business in, get this, y'all, three days. What would appear to be an overwhelming setback for Shauna was another instance of her renegade resilience and penchant for seeking solutions. From humble beginnings, starting her family life, camping on the floor of a new home, saving up to buy furniture, to traveling the world on military deployments, she and her husband have been an unshakable team rooted in support. She is on a mission to make a lasting impact via her fintech startup, Odo, and her marketing consultancy, where she secures enviable results to the tune of 400% increase in website conversions or 220% growth in sales leading to profitability and scalability. Whether Shauna is living abroad, mothering her four children, writing her book, Pyramid of Profitability, interviewing inspirational founders on her startup renegade podcast, or scaling companies across industry verticals, she does it with tactical focus, follow through, and determination to drive results. It's no wonder she's quickly becoming the sought-after marketing savant for funded founders looking to surge their empires. Ho, 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 and happy holidays, listeners. But first off, I'm talking to you, Shauna Armitage. I'm so excited to have you here with me on this very first holiday episode of TLTQ. I got to ask you the question, what do small business owners need to focus on this week? This week, I mean, small business owners need to focus on retention, especially this time of year. Everybody's just worried about new customer acquisition. And that's a big problem with marketing is that once we get those customers in, we're not doing enough to think about how we can sell them, sell to them over and over again. And man, that's where the profitability is. Heck yes, the lifetime value of the customer a bajillion percent, right? I love this because you're a marketer and I'm a marketer and Mm -hmm. we're not saying new folks aren't important, but I totally see day in and day out and certainly in my own business have seen when I so over-prioritize new eyes, new brains and new hearts over the people that already swear by what I provide. And then when you look at it like that, you're like, 
oh, that's backwards. Whoa. For real. I mean, yes, we're, we're both marketers. And I feel like in marketing in general, a lot of times we're just on our high horses, just preaching about top of the funnel, right? Yeah. Social media, advertising, like what ways are you going to drive traffic to your offer? And of course that's important because if you don't hook them in the first place, retention's not a thing, right? But you could make a million dollars in revenue, but if it costs you a million and one in advertising, you're not profitable. If you've already acquired the customers, that expense is taken care of. So focusing on new ways to sell to them, whether it's new product, new membership, uh, a sale, an escalating product suite, too many people are just focused on that initial sale and not what comes next. The time and money that I allocate toward customer retention and toward return investment always pays off yeah. so much more than my new stuff. But you're totally right, right? We can't retain what we don't have. So it has to have both pieces. We have to go out and get the new people. But I think we do have this bias toward more, 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 build the list, get the huge numbers, make sure that there's 95 people on our lives today, blah, 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 blah. And the people that actually go on the lives day after day and are the ones that will reach out and say, hey, Annie, hey, Shauna, I'm so excited to be here. Those are the people that we don't rush to respond to. Those are the people who are the most likely to pay us. And plus, those are the people who are our VIPs because they already paid us. Yeah, absolutely. So why is there another reason why you think we forget to love the ones we're with. I, I know it's not intentional. Nobody listening to this show would be intentionally neglectful, but but how come it falls off the wagon so often? I think there's a couple of reasons. First of all, you know, we think about just customer acquisition being that thing that that drives our business forward and it may give us revenue, but it, again, it doesn't mean it gives us profit, right? And that's a big difference. So yep. it's very easy to acquire the customers, but then not email them or not, you know, have communication channels open with them. So you're nurturing that bond. So it makes sense for them to purchase from you again. Another thing is it's not even that it falls off the wagon. It's that we haven't built it into our business model. So I have a, I had an old client that had a fabulous, amazing product, but the profit margins on it were really low, which was fine. But it meant that she had to sell a lot of them to make it profitable. And it was really hard to acquire new customers when there wasn't much profit on the initial product. So not only did we have to sell to them again through holiday sales and whatnot. One big thing that we did in her business was we created a second product because they already had the first product. There might not have been an occasion for purchasing again. And that just eliminates your ability to retain customers. So we actually went in and not marketing the business strategy. We said, okay, what's the next thing that we can build that makes sense for these customers to keep them engaged? Heck yes. What's next? What's the next problem, right? New level, new devil. So you got someone from point A to point B. Guess what? Now they're standing on the precipice of point E. 
What do they need there that they weren't ready for before? How has their thinking changed? How has their skill level evolved? You know, maybe they're hiring their first employees now and those employees have to be trained in the way that the boss was trained. Who knows, right? But if we don't look at the trajectory of where the client is going, we miss so much opportunity to continue to serve. I freaking love that. That's why I'm, I'm a big advocate for having that ladder of services so you can meet people where they are and you can also keep them. And, and it's not lecherous. You're not saying you will never be able to do anything in your business without me ever again. Ha, ha, ha. You are fully, you know, tied to me. But at the same time, you're saying, you know me, you like me, you trust me, you benefited from me, you understand that my nature, my ethics, my values. And what I'm saying is I have more for you so you don't have to look elsewhere. Right, Shauna? Well, yeah. I mean, if you're just selling them that that one product or service, you're probably not doing it right. And not for you, but for them. You know, your, your knowledge has levels. You, you haven't given them everything that you're able to give them at that first level. So yeah. you, you move them, you escalate them and help them empower them to step up when you have a product suite that can accommodate those different levels of understanding. And the different people involved and the different aspects involved. And it's also a great way why you can bring in collaboration or resources or something else because you understand what is coming ahead of them on the learning curve in a way that they might not see. And so you can predict those needs. I just love that. And it's, I think that's one of the things I talk about in sales avoidance all the time is people are like, I'm tired of going out and meeting new people. And I'm like, cool, don't. <laughs> right? Like, go, yeah. go double down on the people that love you. Whether they're going to be a testimonial, a referral, or a repeat customer, go pour a little more love and a little more energy into the people that have invested in you and watch that investment continue to grow. Yeah, 100%. And also, yes, obviously on the whole revenue versus profit conundrum, we see this all the time. And, you know, this show is the sworn enemy of people saying bullshit monetary expectations on Facebook ads. Uh, We hate that around here. But one of the things is that kind of idea of expectation on all of this, right? Of what we're saying that we're doing versus what we're actually doing and how we're actually showing up and what we're actually putting out there. And one of the craziest things is like all these people that are like, I made a million dollars in one minute. And I'm like, yeah. And this Facebook ad that you're running right now is eating up all of that. So you can't (laughs) actually say you made a million (laughs) dollars. Like if you're giving all that money to Zuckerberg, you ain't no millionaire, babe. It's true. And I mean, that just kind of brings up a whole another can of worms in terms of content because everyone out there seems to be teaching everyone else to be carbon copies of themselves. And I'm pretty sure we have a lot of, you know, millionaire in a minute or, you know, I, I was living on the street last month and this month I launched my course to, you know, $40,000 live launch. I'm pretty sure a good amount of those people haven't actually done. Yeah. And then they're also like, I'm putting out my 15 point process, how to survive living in your car for 15 payments of Mm $10,000. And you're like, you're charging people who want to live in their cars, $250,000 to live in their cars. I, 
there's a disconnect with your audience here, my dears. I think my favorite one is like, I built this amazing course. It's usually 997, but I'm <laughs> gifting it to 100 people today. If you're selling something for 997, yeah. you're not gifting it to 100 people. No, you're not at all. And And also... One of the main reasons why I'm so kind of militantly anti-discount is because that one-time bargain basement discount that you do as a flash sale for 24 hours negates your pricing the other 364 days of the year. Mm -hmm. Not everybody's paying that close of attention, but the people that are like cute that you think that this is really going to pay that you're saying this is worth three times more than this $3,000 you're charging when on your list six months ago, you were giving it away for free. Yeah, you're right. There's just, there's such a disconnect between what people are saying and the actions that they're taking. So totally not what we're talking about on the pop culture topic today, but I saw this meme and I also just like one of my main guilty pleasures is good old Maury Povich (laughs) and his wonderful, ridiculous lie detectors. And I saw this meme yesterday that said, You said that the offer was ending, but the eight emails I got say that is a lie. And I'm like, yes, exactly. It's the same thing with like fake urgency or fake scarcity. We're putting all of this trickery out there and being like, bye, bye, bye. Come do all of these things. Hurry up, sign up, get the quick price, get the quick win, get the whatever. And then we turn around and we're like, oh, well, I said 10 people could get it, but it's really like anybody could get it. And I said you could get it by next Tuesday, but really I mean by like next Tuesday of 2024. And also I said that the webinar is live, but it's pre-recorded, but it's meant to look live. Like y'all just be honest in your shit, please. That would be nice. That stuff just makes me bonkers. But yeah, I think, I think there's so much emphasis on revenue and not enough on profit, which is one of the reasons I was so excited that I got to interview Mike Michalowicz because that was something at the beginning of my business that I just didn't understand at all. Yeah. I mean, uh, cerebrally, I did. I'm like, okay, I have operating expenses and overhead and stuff that I have to do. And, you know, I got to pay my Canva bill or, you know, (laughs) my VA or whatever. But then I'd still go, yeah, but I brought in $8,000 this month. Yay, I had a great month. Ooh, I'm going to get a, you know, good check this month. And I'm like, wait, hold on. I also paid an agency 13 grand to run my Facebook ads. So I actually lost five grand this month. Uh Oh, right. So it's, and that is not this month, thankfully, but it has been many a month in the past. How do you think, you know, you're such a wonderful big picture person, but you're also deeply involved with a lot of the minutia of this stuff. Shauna, how do we do that dance between looking at all of the hats we have to wear and all of the plates that have to be on our table, but also not getting so overwhelmed that we don't execute? Like, how do we do that dance? You know, it's a funny question because I feel like it really depends on how you function as a person. I am a high, I thrive in high pressure. So the more that I have to do, the better I perform. If all of a sudden I'm down a client and I don't have a lot of work to do, I do have work to do, but then I'm like procrastinating and I'm I'm not on top of it. So yeah. for me, 
what it always comes down to is how I schedule my time, how I block off my time, how I prepare. I use uh, Michael Hyatt's full focus planner and really just setting my top three for the day every day has been a game changer for me. I love that you brought up preparation. I feel like that's something I just never even hear about. And and so many days, I kind of just hurl myself at my desk and start. Yeah. And I don't do that for a podcast interview. Like, I mean, this one is a little bit different because I know you and you and I have spoken before and da, 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 da. But like, you know, normally I'm doing prep or if I'm going on a client call, I'm making sure that I know where we were, what their deliverables were, what my deliverables were, what our timeline was, right? I'm refreshing on all of those things. If I'm going on somebody else's podcast, I've listened to the show, I've researched the host, I've seen who I know that's been on the show, whatever it may be. But when it comes to my day overall, I really do just kind of chuck myself at my desk, open up my computer, open up my email and just start doing things as they come in. That is not prepared. That is not systematized or organized. And I don't think it really sets me up for success every morning. So what does preparation look like to you? Or, or why, why did you think preparation came up today? You know, just, just kind of riffing off of your question of like, how do I manage all of the things? Because I'm not only a military spouse, a mom of four, I work in, in multiple businesses. And, you know, there's just, there's not enough time in the day. So how, how I'm able to, to do any of that without losing my mind or doing crappy work, uh, it does come down to preparation. And a lot of it is just mental preparation I've used. And I still, in some instances will use different project management softwares, but for me, I'm old school. I like to write things down and I found that I was using a disgusting amount of paper. So I got myself a Remarkable. It's basic. I'm using my Remarkable right now. I love my Remarkable. I, I highly suggest it for everybody. My husband was like, I can't believe you. Your computer is a touchscreen. Like you could just write on it with a pen. Yep. And I'm like, well, then how am I going to write things while I'm using my computer? And it's he, not the same. It's not the same. And the remarkable feels like paper. So he he was like disgusted when I bought this. And he, to this day, cannot believe how much I use it. I use it for okay. everything. So I, I take notes in my remarkable. And then I've got folders of handwritten notes. And then I have my planner. And I don't use all of the full focus planner. Um, I'll write out my schedule for the day. I'll write out my top three for the day. And then, you know, I'll put other things that I want to accomplish and I'll only do it one day at a time. So, you know, if I didn't accomplish things or I've got notes left over, then I transfer it to the next day or I kind of reevaluate what I want to do the next day. And I can clearly see if things are getting done or if I'm just being an ass. Yeah. And you can see what you're procrastinating. And you can see, like, that was one of the main things of like, I I think I'm a bit of a procrastinator, but then I looked at it and I'm like, okay, the thing is, I'm not a procrastinator across tasks, but there are some specific tasks that I will procrastinate until I'm dead. And the way that I looked at that is I looked at the nature of my days and I looked at those rollover to-dos that wound up on like Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday until they finally got crossed off on Thursday. Yeah. And I watched them, especially where they like triple circled on Monday, like with a note to me that's like, Annie, fucking do this. And then it would still be on Thursday. And I'm like, okay, that's a procrastination point right there. 
Or is that like a note to self? This is something to give yep. to the VA. Yep, like give, give to VA now. But I, um, God, I love that you brought up Remarkable. I'm using mine right now. I just shout out to the folks at Remarkable um, because I am the queen of journals, post-its, note cards, and napkins. Yes. So everything on my desk and everything in my life is on these little scraps of paper. And then I'll be like, wait, hold on. Where was that really good quote that Shauna said about that thing? Well, right now I'm in a folder called TLPQ interview notes and I have a folder open called Shauna and I'm writing down the quotes right here. So I'll know where it freaking is. So yes, thank you, technology, specifically my remarkable tablet for making this easier. I, uh, when I went to She Podcast Live, so many people I love whipped these puppies out and I was like, I'm doing it. Yeah. Gotta get it. But it's, but you know what? It's streamlining. It's, it's so, but it, and it doesn't even matter what the tech thing is because you brought up like, you know, PM software or, or all of these other things. Like I love Trello dearly. I will use Trello forever. Yeah. But now I also have Kanban boards on this thing, right? So it's just like kind of weird. But I think it's honoring your processes too, because what you said when you were talking about your remarkable, which is exactly the same value prop for me, was we are paper people. But we also are like, wow, I use a lot of paper. That's not efficient. And also it's not really what I want for my carbon footprint. Yeah. Like, right? Like I don't want to be churning out all of these little scraps of paper all day long. And and that was the exact same thing for me is I want the feel of writing on paper, but I want better organization than paper. Mm-hmm. And I want the segmentation of paper, but I don't want the waste of paper. And, and I feel like that is us honoring our preferences, our values, but also the realistic way that we work. We're not trying to change the nature of our day. We're not trying to become a morning person if we're not a morning person. We're not trying to force ourselves to use a dictaphone when we'd rather write things down. And I think that's really key because there's so many shoulds in this freaking business. Yeah. I mean, just honoring what feels good to you is important, not feeling like you have to do it another way. And I, for me, I just had that moment where I was like, I have gone through so many notebooks and I can't actually find the, like the notes that I want. Like, this is ridiculous. This is not who I want to be as a business owner or as a person. Yeah. And I, you know, Facebook must've been listening to me because I saw an ad for the remarkable and like immediately bought it. They were like, we got you. Yeah. We got you. At one time, Facebook has your back. Oh my God. Although the other day they sent me this ad for like, these really fabulous turbans and these slippers that had like blue lobsters on them. And I was like, yes, this is exactly what I want. Like Norma Desmond meets the nanny. Like I'm all for this aesthetic. And then I clicked on the ad and the slippers for like $500. Oh, Facebook was not looking out on that one. I was like, algorithm, you were so right in terms of style and so wrong in terms of price. Like, <laughs> like you not... know enough about me. Like, you <laughs> see my tech. Like, let's let's be real here. Yeah, like, I'll drop $500 on a remarkable tablet. <laughs> I will not drop $500 on some fabulous, furry, blue lobster slippers. I'm sorry, Facebook. I just won't do it. <laughs> if, but that's my style. And if that's what you want to do, hey, that's your prerogative. But... But I think it really is about just knowing what you need in order to be optimally performing what that looks like to you and also keeping your eyes on your own paper, right? So you're so deeply entrenched in the startup world. And I remember when I was in that vein, 
there's so much comparison thinking and there's so much of the race to funding, the race to exposure, the race to get, you know, into Forbes or or whatever it may be. But it's constantly like, well, so-and-so just raised this round or so-and-so just added, you know, this new native integration or so-and-so just did this or so-and-so just did that. And, and I see that so much in software because it's so easy to compare feature to feature. But I feel like it's even more prevalent in solopreneurship that might be non-technical. Shauna, do you have any ideas while we're looking at the big picture or while we're executing these things in order to be able to stay kind of competitively or comparatively minded without going into those pits of despair? I mean, for me, the first thing would be to do an actual competitive analysis. I don't think enough service providers actually do that. Um, I did one, I mean, I do them for clients all the time, right? But when I was working with a coach, she had me do one for myself. Yeah. And I started, you know, looking at these people or these companies that I thought were my competitors. And it was really eye-opening because none of them were. You know, you you think that you're competing with someone because you sell the same service, but then you look at how much they're charging or the demographics or their mission or like there's so many little tidbits in there that really, really define who they are or maybe who you are as a business and that is really your competitive advantage. And until you really do the work to find out more about them, you're not going to know enough about yourself. Heck yeah. And that advantage exists. I feel like one of the things in the past is I'm a wildly vain person, y'all. Like I love my stuff. I love my brain. I love how I help people. But I look at my stuff sometimes and I'm like, well, other people's stuff is better because it's other people's stuff. And I feel like a lot of us have that sort of natural bias of if I do a competitive analysis, then I'm going to go in and what I'm going to uncover is all the ways that my competitors are so much better than me. And I call BS on that because a lot of the time what happens is I'll go and I'll be like, wow, they're doing something cool that is not actually competitive to me at all. Or they're doing something cool, but they're targeting and they're doing exactly what I'm doing, but for a different audience. And so I see how they're targeting different people than me. Or I'm like, PS, their website sucks. This just happened with a client of mine this week. I'm I'm rewriting a website uh, on my secret consulting menu for somebody. And this guy sent me his list of competitors and was like, I can't even look at their websites. I just don't want to know. And I got on the call. And the first thing I said is, I got great news for you, Michael. All of your competitors' websites suck. <laughs> yeah. And he was like, seriously? But he did the same thing that I used to do. He assumed that because his competitors' sites were his competitors' sites, that they were by some divine provenance better than his shit. And I was like, no, their copy talks to no one. It's not problem oriented. They don't know the audience is too segmented. They don't know if they're talking to HR managers or individuals. You know, it's very cookie cutter. It doesn't have good whatever. And he's like, I've been so afraid to look at that site for so long because I just assumed that I would get jealous. And I'm like, are you going to get jealous of a bad website? Because if so, go click on it. Here you go. But you know what? get jealous. Like if you go to a competitor and you're like, wow, this is sexy. It's going to either a like help you up, like get you motivated to up your game or B be like, okay, this is great. How can I be inspired to do something like this in a way that's who I am? That's so true. 
you know, a little bit of well-meaning professional jealousy is not a bad thing. No, it's not. It can really be motivating. It shows you what you want, right? It's a very strong emotion that's easy to pinpoint. Sometimes it's hard to see what overwhelm feels like. It's real easy to feel like what professional jealousy feels like. Yeah. But but you're right. It can be motivating. It can be inspiring. It can light a fire under your ass. It could also, you know, show you areas where you need to step your game up or lanes that you can sunset in favor of other ones. I love that. Here we are on the holiday episode talking about professional jealousy. I love it. <laughs> I love it because, I mean, it's... We see professional jealousy in the holidays. Like, oh, my neighbor's house is better decorated than mine. So decorate your house, boo. Yeah. But, you know, have your kids cut up some snowflakes out of paper and tape those little fuckers up. Like, you got some work to do. It's all right. I love that. All right. Well, on that note, I have brought you here today to talk about a beloved holiday classic. Mm -hmm. 1994, Tim Allen of Home Improvement accidentally murders Santa Claus and as such must become Santa Claus. It's so helpful. It's so heartwarming when you describe it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and the, yeah, it's like, you know, Tim Allen kills Santa because he falls off a roof and then he realizes he starts to get fat. The Santa Claus. Um, But Shauna, in all actual ha-ha air quote seriousness, what business lessons can we glean from the Santa Claus? Well, one of them is have insurance. If someone's going to fall off the roof of your house, you need to be protected. Yeah, that that is really good <laughs> business advice for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I've always loved the Santa Claus because it is heartwarming. And I think it really kind of brings to the forefront this kind of like skepticism and just like gnarly attitude <laughs> that we we get. Yeah. But what it focuses on is like the the pureness and the curiosity of of children. And it may not like directly relate to being profitable, but I definitely think that it relates to being a marketer. Because if we are getting so stuck in that like adultness of marketing and we forget that that childish curiosity then we are going to look like the competition we're just going to be following the rules we're going to be following somebody else's path uh but when we can think creatively and just see these situations with new eyes all the time that is when we get innovative and really start making positive changes in business. Heck yes. That is golden. That is just absolute sunshine on a plate because you use that word curiosity and and you said like, I don't know how this would tie into profit. I can't think of any time that I've discovered anything that wound up being truly profitable that was not directly the result of me getting passionately curious about something. Yeah, it's so important. And I mean, taking chances. I mean, every single entrepreneur is where they are because they've taken risks, not because they, you know, put on their pants and went back in the house and called the cops to let them know that, you know, Santa was out out front in the snow, right? It's because they they went up to the roof, they got on the sleigh and they took off and they waited to see where it would take them. 
And I love that you brought up kids. Now you have four kids. I have fur kids. Uh, but I love that you brought up kids and this kind of like openness and, and wonder and all of these things right before you brought up risk, because I definitely see risk differently as an adult than I did as a kid. Yeah. Because as a kid, I'm like, I'm going to climb that tree and jump out of it just to see what happens. Could I get hurt? Yeah. Do I really care? No. I'm just going to do it because it's going to be fun and it's going to make my friends laugh. And then I jump out of a tree and break my arm. Right. But I was like, ha ha ha. I'm so funny. Now I look at the risk in my business with terror and very little play. But that's so goofy because my favorite risks to take in business do have that element of play. Starting this very podcast, having this pop culture element, that's me taking a risk, but a playful risk. And that's me basing the risk on, on my own curiosity, enjoyment, passion, and style. And I think that's why it didn't feel as risky. So I love kind of how you brought this all together and this idea of, of taking on these challenges, these new frontiers with that sense of, of openness, especially over skepticism. <laughs> when you're a child, you don't have anything to lose, right? But when you're an adult, there's responsibilities, there's bills to pay, and you kind of yeah. lose that childish sense of wonder and that willingness just to be like, eh, if it doesn't work out, that's okay. I'll get up and I'll try something different tomorrow. Um, and that's something that we as entrepreneurs should should get back to. And that's like the holiday movie theme is like, everybody's remembering either how to like chill out or how to believe or how to play, right? So like, that's all of it. It's the Santa Claus is they're trying to convince the like stick in the mud ex-wife and her horrible husband that Santa's real. And, you know, they're trying to get the son to like stay in the vein of all things being magical. And now his dad is Santa and he has to share with the whole world and all this stuff. But then if you look also at like Miracle on 34th Street and yeah. Elf and all these things, it's like, you're my dad. Maybe you should stop being such an asshole. Like, <laughs> right? There's that kind of running theme of, you know, Scrooge. All of that whole thing is like, you are such a miserable human being. You need to remember to like eat a nice meal and shut up sometimes. Yeah, I feel that in my soul. Yeah, me too. Don't all of us just kind of want to shut up and eat sometimes? <laughs> I mean, most times. Yeah. Oh, man. But it, you're right, though. It, it is about bringing that enthusiasm back. So weird question. And, and please don't feel pressured to share anything super personal or, or beyond your boundaries. But I'm wondering, because this is not my experience, but I know it's a shared experience uh, with a lot of my listeners. Are there any lessons that your own kids continually teach you about bringing energy into your businesses? Because you have a million. Yeah, I do. I have a million kids and zero energies. Um, <laughs> you know, I am constantly just loving to watch them grow into who they want to be. And I, all four of them, you know, of course, you know, we have familial traits I can see little bits of, you know, my stubbornness in number two or, you know, you know, different, different things about myself, but they are just so uniquely growing into who they want to be. And that, that is something that as an adult, 
I still need to be working on because I'm not there yet. Yeah, I don't think I am either. I think I'm damn close, but I don't think it's a fully realized process. And I don't even know if there was an end result, what that end result would be. But that comes back into play in your business too, right? You know, Mm -hmm. just because you created this business five years ago, a year ago, yesterday, doesn't mean that it has to be or should be the same business tomorrow. You know, you should be evolving and following the the best possible path to become the business that you want to be. Oh, that's why I thought that the best book title of the last 10 years is Michelle Obama's Becoming. Mm. Because all of us are becoming or all of us are, whether we're becoming with intention or we're becoming by chance or circumstance, we are all on that path to evolution. And so when that book came out, I was like, that's the best book title. I'm an Obama freak anyway, so I don't need a reason to Leave it to Michelle. Right? Leave it to Michelle to fucking nail that shit. (laughs) Oh, oh man. Well, and also, uh, I do want to shout out your husband. You are in Germany because your husband is actively deployed. So for all of our service people, around the world and to their families who maybe don't get to be with their holiday, the holiday season. Thank you for your continuing sacrifice and keeping us safe. Oh, thank you. And yeah, I got two more questions for you. Cause I know you got another meeting and it's also like nine o'clock in Germany. <laughs> um, all right. So Shauna, Santa Claus comes to your home mm-hmm. to drop off presents for your four magnificent children. And Santa Claus, much like in the Santa Claus, dies in your home. <laughs> How did Santa die? How did you kill Santa, Shauna? Um, how did I kill Santa? Well, I'm guessing that he probably tripped over like a doll or some shit. Probably, <laughs> probably not a doll, probably like somebody's sneakers that got left in the entryway. Uh, and like, but just like two <laughs> feet away from the bench where we put the shoes, that yep. is, that is what he fell over a hundred percent. That sounds about right. The totally avoidable head trauma death caused by, you know, but it would be great if it was ironic, like Santa fell on a toy, especially <laughs> one that he himself had previously delivered, but no. All right. Tripping hazards. Everybody, parents out there remember this year. The fat man's got to come down the chimney, clean up the floors, <laughs> put the shoes in the bin. Shauna, this has been such a joy. I am so excited to have this kick off my beautiful week of Christmas and that we got to reconnect. You have so many magnificent pots on the stove at all times. You've got your own great podcast. You're part of an emerging startup. You take client work. You help people on so many levels. What is the best way for people to come into your world and get to know all about the wonders of you? Yeah, thanks for asking. People can find me at startuprenegades.com. That's where I have all the episodes for my podcast. And there is just so many good stories to inspire your own startup journey and actionable strategies to inspire your growth. I'm also the co-founder of Odo, which you mentioned, which is a fintech startup with we are offering loss-protected money growth, which is completely new. There's nothing like that out here. And we're currently uh, building the waitlist for our live launch next year, which is exciting. 
But the best way to, to connect with me is to go to shaunaarmitage.com and just schedule a 25-minute strategy call because then we can actually chat. And one of my favorite things is giving away free advice and just having the opportunity to learn about people, learn about their businesses, and really dig deep and give them some actionable things that they can do right now to start making positive change. Y'all, you got to take her up on that call. You just got to do it. Shauna, this has been so freaking lovely and fabulous and merry and bright and good for my heart. Uh, From my family to yours, happy holidays and thank you for being here. Happy holidays. Everybody else, I will be back in just a second with my final thoughts and your homework for the week. Well, hey there, listeners. I'll keep this short and sweet this week, as I know many of us have gifts to wrap and snow to shovel. For most of my clients, the next few weeks are going to be pretty dang dead. Wallets close, emails slow down, prospects get quiet, online events go dark until next year. It's basically forced hibernation, so let's make the most of it, baby. Your homework this week is to go digging into how your competitors truly are. But here is the kicker. You must approach this quest with childlike wonder. What if your competitor is doing something amazing? Well, then allow yourself to marvel. What might that glee inspire in you? If your competitor is doing something hideous, however, allow yourself to be fully soothed and invigorated by this. How can you double down with a song in your heart? Now, It's not about being mean, nasty, or critical. It's the holidays after all. But we simply cannot know our place in this occupational, professional world if we don't look at who else is out there. Luckily, none of us have to be the one and only Santa. We all solve problems together. Sure, collaboratively or competitively, but simultaneously, concurrently. It's always freaking happening, just like Santa's elves are still banging out those woodblock toys. The wonder, the enthusiastic search for possibility and the promise of enchantment is key here. So be aware of the mental BS that comes up and respond with loving kindness to yourself. Hey, throw on an ugly Christmas sweater if you need some joyful armor but get out there and dig merrily. You might even make a new friend. I can't wait to hear what you find. From my house to yours, happy holidays. Hey, thanks for listening. Too Legitimate to Quit is brought to you by the Non-Sleasy Sales Academy and me, your host, Annie P. Ruggles. Listen, we talk a lot about marketing on this show, and that's because I fully, earnestly believe that every dime and every moment we spend marketing is totally worth it unless we turn around and sabotage ourselves at the finish by refusing to sell and sell beautifully. Why? A lot of us have a misconception of what selling actually requires of us or who it needs us to be. Please give me the opportunity to help change your mind at www.nonsleazy.com. That's N-O-N-S-L-E-A-Z-Y.com. Big shout out to the fabulous dudes who helped make this show what it is. My producer and editor, Andrew Sims of Hypable Impact. My composer, Riley Herbastio. And my show artist, Francois Vigneault. They're all fabulous and I'd be glad to introduce you. 
Until next week, just do your best. And remember, you're too legitimate to quit. <laughs>